toward the back half of last year, we sat down kind of to take stock of what was going on in logistics and supply chain. Um, obviously, it's been a roller coaster in terms of consumer demand and capacity as we've gone through the, the pandemic. But I think what we realized was, you know, you still have the same pain points in logistics that have always been there. Um, we list some of those out in the article, growing complexity, increasing fragmentation, you know, there's still manual processes, underutilized assets. There's a long list of them. Um, and, you know, the pandemic didn't so much sort of create new problems. Uh, it just magnified uh, a lot of the problems that were there. You're listening to Transform Talks, the podcast about global supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, a fast-growing network of over 130,000 supply chain and manufacturing executives worldwide. Now on this show, I'm going to be interviewing and having conversations with some of the biggest names in supply chain and business, where we're going to be discussing topics around digitization, transformation, leadership, technology, business models, diversity, sustainability, and much, much more. Welcome back to Transform Talks. This week, my guest is David Yang. David is a partner at ActiveAnt Capital, a global investment firm that partners with high-growth companies that seek to transform commerce. Since the firm's inception in 2015, ActiveAnt has invested in more than 25 private and public startups, including market-leading companies such as Deliver, with two R's, Better.com, and Bolt. David and Activant popped up on my radar late last year after the firm released a fascinating report which basically said that every company is soon going to become a logistics company. And of course, I was absolutely curious and I wanted to find out more, so I invited David onto the show so that he and I can discuss some of the key takeaways from that report. During this conversation, we also managed to speak about the role fintechs are going to play in solving the biggest pain points in logistics and how companies can avoid the shiny new object syndrome. I hope you enjoy. Hey, David, welcome to Transform Talks. Thanks for having me, Maria. Okay, so, you know, I'm going to jump straight in and ask you straight about a report that was released last year from uh, your company. But uh, you said something like that in the next 10 years, every company is going to become a supply chain company. And uh, this report explained just how and why this is going to be the case. So maybe we start with, for the benefit of the listeners, could you perhaps walk us through how you came to that conclusion and, 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 and maybe some of the key takeaways from the report? Sure. Um, happy to. Uh, well, first of all, I'd say, um, yeah, the, the title itself, um, just, to, <laughs> just for clarification, we wanted to be a bit cheeky with the title, wanted to be a bit catchier. Um, in the spirit of software is eating the world or every company is a fintech company. Uh, I think we ultimately titled the report, every company will be a logistics company. Just thinking about the pain points and solutions in supply chain and logistics and pulling that forward 10 years out um, and seeing that, yeah, everybody will need to sort of focus on this. This is what we need to be, we think, um, central and key to how people do business. Um, but yeah, diving into the report itself, um, well, first I'd just you know, give all credit to our research team that's an area we've been investing in. We've assembled a, a very strong team to date to build that out. But basically, last year, toward the back half of last year, we sat down kind of to take stock of what was going on in logistics and supply chain. Um, obviously, it's been a roller coaster in terms of consumer demand and capacity as we've gone through the, the pandemic. But I think what we realized was, you know, you still have the same pain points in logistics that have always been there. Um, we list some of those out in the article 
growing complexity, increasing fragmentation, you know, there's still manual processes, underutilized assets. There's a long list of them. Um, and, you know, the pandemic didn't so much sort of create new problems. Uh, it just magnified uh, a lot of the problems that were there. And, you know, logistics problems are now, you know, so no longer just in the purview of logistics experts, but, um, you know, when your mother, my, my grandmother went to the, the Walmart down the street and, you know, first couldn't buy toilet paper and then suddenly found sort of too much toilet paper all on sale. Um, you know, even she started having a point of view on um, on supply chain. And I think that just sort of, you know, highlights problems, but also creates opportunities. And so we started with those problems, matched them up against the solutions. We list a bunch of the, you know, how we're thinking about the different solutions in the article as well, um, whether it's digitizing freight forwarders. I could go into any of this you know, maybe in more depth later, but it's digitizing freight forwarders or, or upgrading the TMS we have an upcoming article, follow-up article on next-generation TMSs, um, or it's maybe focusing on the last mile or the opportunity of you know, for fintech and payments and logistics. Um, there's a lot of uh, pain points, but also a lot of solutions, a lot of opportunities. So um, we thought, yeah, putting that together, gathering our thoughts, um, especially just coming out of the couple of years we've all gone through, uh, sort of a good way to maybe summarize a bit what we saw in the past, in the near past, as well as... Um, uh, lay out the opportunity going forward. So, hence, um, hence the article. You know, you're speaking my language because I've got to say that I have been a believer that supply chain is uh, makes or breaks business. Supply chain logistics, a strong supply chain and logistics makes or breaks a business. Equally, I think that they are the business. You know, uh, they're not a function of the business; they are the business, right? And 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 so what you said there. Yeah, what you said there with regards to being, you know, seeing the problems. So I also think that the, that the pandemic highlighted quite a lot of cracks within the supply chain. That, and I'm glad we kind of, you know, had, I'm not saying I'm glad we had COVID, but I'm saying uh, I'm glad that this was, there was an opportunity to really look at what it is that we do. So I, I'm with you on this. I think that wherever crisis comes, it is both a negative, of course, but equally an opportunity to do something with it. You know, completely agree with you, right? So, you know what? My next question is about Amazon because you mentioned it. And that's, again, is the belief that I've got, which is Amazon set the pace for it and is continuing to set the pace for us with regards to companies and how supply chains work, right? They put the supply chain at the front and center of everything they do. And, you know, supply chain can often be hard enough for logistics companies to get right, let alone for, say, a fintech. So what are some of the key considerations that these companies are having to take in mind when shifting their focus onto their supply chain? I love that you brought up Amazon. Uh, I think that could be a whole podcast recording. Um, we have um, been spending a lot of time thinking about what makes Amazon great. Um, its superpowers and unbundling them. So it's everything from logistics to e-commerce infrastructure they've built. Um, and we've invested in a lot of companies um, along those lines. But um, I guess to, to maybe more your, 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 your key question in there, you know, I guess the key considerations when thinking about the supply chain and maybe a little bit more for folks who are not, you know, steeped in this day to day. So maybe the e-commerce merchant or, or others thinking about it and how it can impact the business. Um, I'd say, you know, maybe a couple of key things. One, it is big, like supply chains spend on logistics annually, 
think we've seen numbers as high as $11 trillion annually. So uh, there's a lot of dollars traveling around out there. I would say two, you know, and, and this should be this should be obvious to lots of folks, but it is it is hard, especially coming out of the pandemic and the disruptions. So, you know, and the underlying problems that uh, that we've we've just already talked about, as well as highlighted in the report, as well as I'm sure people are seeing in the field uh, on kind of manual, uh, inefficient processes, um, fragmentation, complexity, all of that stuff. Um, but yeah, maybe I'll, I'll come a bit back to the point on just uh, you know where there is maybe problems, there are also opportunities. You know, there is with the supply chain, you know, to get numerical about it, to get into the PNL about it, there's an opportunity to both reduce costs as well as um, increase revenue. On reducing costs, um, and this is for sort of any business that touches the supply chain, um, we've, I think, seen a great study by the APQC showing high performing supply chains can generate kind of 4x cost savings, as high as 4x cost savings. Uh, we've seen this up close with our portfolio companies. I think reducing costs by making a more efficient supply chain, that's one of the more obvious opportunities where, where companies are focused. I think there's also opportunity to reduce costs through, through financing, you know, especially if you're a merchant working with your supply chain partners to see what factoring or lending products, insurance products, and other things that could make sense. Um, but maybe the, the biggest opportunity as it relates to sort of the P&L of a company that many don't realize is, is that it can also improve revenue. Um, you know, everyone's very focused on reducing costs. That's, that's that's obvious, and and that is a, a worthwhile uh, pursuit. Uh, but what's harder and less obvious in some ways is um, is increasing revenue. Um, and maybe this ties back to your Amazon um, prompt earlier. You can move the needle on your revenue by uh, increasing, improving the experience of your fulfillment of your supply chain. So. What does that mean exactly? Deliver uh, with two R's, one of our portfolio companies. Um, they are uh, effectively a next-gen 3PL. They're enabling um, sort of two- to three-day shipping for their merchants uh, who don't want to sell on Amazon. Um, they work with warehouses and 3PLs. Uh, they're underutilized space, helping them increase utilization revenue. Uh, anyways, they help e-com merchants uh, move the needle on top line by allowing them to offer sort of a one- to two-day shipping tag at checkout, right? And, and um uh, one of the, I would say one of Amazon's superpowers is you know uh, the continued uh, sort of reduction in time to get the stuff you ordered. Um, no surprise, but you know if you can give somebody something in you know let's say two days versus five days, or heck even two hours versus two days, that can increase customer conversion. That can increase customer loyalty. Ultimately, that increases um, increases revenue. So uh, I think it's big. It's hard, uh, but there is opportunities to both reduce costs and increase revenue. Um, that's how I, you know, that's how I, uh, that's how I tell people about uh, sort of what's going on in supply chain. And you know what, David? I think if we look back five years ago, ten years ago, we would never have thought of, you know, generating revenue through a supply chain. It was all based on cost and performance metrics. It's a cost center. It's a back office function. Uh, and again, that's why I use the Amazon example, the fact that uh, Amazon essentially pioneered the supply chain as a business model. And I think we're seeing a lot more of that, and we will continue to see a lot more of that, won't we? I mean, I'm fascinated. I was fascinated by the idea of getting you on the podcast because you bring a different spin to things. You know, I normally talk to supply chain and logistics leaders, manufacturing leaders, and, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to see the wood for the trees when you're sitting in it, right? 
So I love the fact that you've got a more helicopter view of uh, supply chain logistics, the future, and and fintech in general. You know, uh, I'd like to talk about that. Talk to me about the role that you think fintechs are going to play in solving the biggest pain points in logistics. Yeah, fintech is uh, is near and dear to my heart. Uh, so <laughs> thank you for for bringing that up. Um, I would first say, yeah, at, at Activent, we're um, uh, commerce infrastructure investors. We're investing in how you make, move, sell, and pay for stuff. So it's it's supply chain and logistics, and so I'm, I'm really happy to be speaking with you. It's also e-commerce enablement. You know, we alluded to Amazon earlier as well as fintech. So you you touched on sort of the three areas, uh, kind of core to what we do, near and dear to our hearts, as I like to say. Um, and uh, you know, this I guess the convergence. Uh, or the overlap between these categories is where we, you know, it's obviously been happening for, for quite some time, but where we think there's all sorts of interesting, uh, really, really interesting opportunity, what we look to invest behind. So, you know, fintech and logistics, that overlap, um, I guess the short of it is I, I think fintech will play a huge role in logistics or continue to play a huge role enhancing maybe current, so let's say financing solutions, current insurance products. Um, we are actually working on a, an article right now. <laughs> There's a lot going on in terms of our research. Uh, I think that will delve into this uh, more. But, um, you know, there's just so much room for fintech to help digitize payments, improve payments infrastructure and workflows. Uh, I think ultimately help everyone in the ecosystem, let's say, get paid fast. You know, modern fuel cards, we've seen some of those. Enabling payments between forwarders and carriers. There have been some interesting companies doing things there. Um, digitizing receivables to help with reconciliation and auditing. Uh, there's just a lot of um, specific pain points. Um, we've seen it take as many as 50 days to process and pay invoices. So, you know, the, the way I understand it, I guess generally in accounts payable, it's a three-way match, a purchase order, invoice receipt. You know, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, the horizontal guys do this well. The SAPs of the world do this well. In logistics and transportation, um, as, as you know, as we all know, I think, you know, there's, there's less data. <laughs> you basically, in my mind, you just get an invoice, you know, no, 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 no receipt, no purchase order necessarily, no additional detail. The bill of lading is just kind of that, but it doesn't do the math for you. It doesn't tell you how much the shipment is because there's lading, there's accessorials to add. Um, all this stuff, um, it just, it's, it's a much more sort of complex problem to solve and reconcile. And so, you know, again, I think FinTech, you know, whether it's payment rails or the workflows around it or financing and lending, um, I think present a big opportunity to solve some of those pain points. A lot of money has gone into fintech infrastructure more generally, and uh, you know we're hopeful that uh, that infrastructure can be put to good use in, um, in logistics as well. You know, we we started or I started this podcast when I was having a lot of conversations with senior leaders about digital transformation, right, and and all the hype and noise and buzzwords around them. And one of the things that we talked about is um, the shiny new object syndrome, the fact that a lot of leaders are going after the sort of, oh, artificial intelligence, cool, this robotics, awesome. What does that exactly mean? Are they looking to solve a problem? And so I really like the way that you looked at it from the perspective of pain points, uh, because that is exactly what I say as well. Digitize to solve a problem or to enhance something, to 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 make something easier for someone, whether it's your clients, whether it's your shareholders, whether it's your, you know, I mean, your partners, your employees, et cetera, right? So, uh, you know, can we talk about a little bit, uh, you know, people that are enamored or companies that are enamored with uh, technology 
and they don't stop to actually think if it's necessary. So talk to me about avoiding those pitfalls. Uh, what type of relationship do you believe these companies should have with technology moving forward, given, and I know that I'm going to quote you here because it was in one of the things that you said, given that we're living in, this is you, we are living in such incredible times where technology has become ubiquitous and holds the potential to improve and fix so many of old ways of doing things. By the way, I love. I, I have to say, just personally, I'm probably guilty of, um, you know, shiny new object syndrome as well. <laughs> but, um, Me too, my friend. Me too. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I think the short answer, and, and you know, always sort of easier to say maybe than to do is, uh, and, and this is with my, you know, let's say board hat on, this is with my investor hat on, my numbers guy hat on, um, but, you know, and everything related to tech and spend and investments, I guess it should just come down to having a, an ROI attached to it, right? Note the, the ROI, I think it's important to think of it beyond just quantitative, you know, there's, I think, qualitative as well, but, you know, the more almost numerical, the better. You should hold yourself to sort of realistic expectations up front on what this new tech can do for you. Set gates tied to, to milestones, real milestones along the way. Be thoughtful, deliberate about how you calculate the return. Um, have a trusted advisor or board members or, or, or you know, two or three folks to, to help kind of keep you accountable, keep you honest. You know, that that's the, the sort of the practical side of me. Um, but I... I don't think what I said in there precludes you, precludes us from at least trying new things. So there's <laughs> there's a balance because uh, technology holds so much promise. But um, a little bit like investing, you know, let's say my day job, I think picking what will actually work in the long run, you know, that's a combination, a bit of, of you know, call it the, the the numbers as well, you know, head and heart, right? It's uh, art, not science. Um, it's an imperfect process, but um, yeah, I'd start with the numbers. I'd start with putting all that down, being honest with yourself with the plan, um, and then going from there. And you know what? I'm going to add another one to that, which is look at the bigger picture. Look at the bigger picture, because I think sometimes we have a siloed mentality, and so we might look at optimizing one element of the logistics operation or one element of, say, the manufacturing or sourcing or what have you, but that optimization, which may be great for that particular area, might mean extra hidden costs down the line in perhaps maybe the sourcing side or the planning side of things. So, so you know, just because you're optimized doesn't necessarily mean that the person down the side of the line of your process is optimized. So take, you need someone to take a look at the overall picture and look at it from an ROI perspective. I'll tell you why I said that. Because I was having a conversation with Hanover Mass, Hanover Messe the other, the other day, which is a big fair in, in, in Hanover for industrial automation. And I was talking to the people about um, how you move, uh, how you move the whole entire supply chain through, and think about it logically from a cross-functional collaboration or collaborative uh, thought process. And the answer I got was, well, someone I was talking to was saying that they had optimized their manufacturing process, and in a company, and they were so excited about optimizing the manufacturing process. What it did mean, however, that to optimize it with this latest tech that was creating that instead of say 1,500 uh, pieces of equipment that they needed. To optimize the performance, they needed to make 2,000 pieces. So that was great, they optimized that, but what happened is that they ended up carrying extra inventory and had to, had to outsource to a particular place, you know, warehouse to house it. So the ROI 
was uh, was no, because nobody looked at it from a net profit perspective. And wearing my business hat, when I was hearing all this, I was thinking, well, but what about the net margin on that decision, you know? It's not about just, okay, let's operate here and create efficiency. What's what's the overall benefit to doing this if you're, you're just going to cost me extra in inventory warehousing costs later on down the line? So that's why I think I'm a big proponent of look at it from the whole end-to-end piece. I'm going to I'm gonna borrow that. <laughs> I, I, I like that a lot, Maria. That's well said. Yeah, thank you. So I want to move this on to sustainability because, it, you know, we talk about digital transformation. Technology has a huge place in improving sustainability and the logistics sector, which consumes a great deal of scope three uh, emissions, you know, has a huge opportunity here for having making change, implementing change. Do you, do you see a shift taking place and do you think that we can, uh, I don't know, is it possible to make return on investment while focusing on sustainability? I should certainly hope so. I, I First, I should, I should caveat by saying this is an area I haven't spent as much time in. This is an area we are sort of just gradually kind of tiptoeing in. Um, I think we're going to do some, some, some work on it. Um, so I should caveat by saying that I, I at least from kind of a, an initial sort of cursory look, it does, you know, it does seem like Europe is maybe further along. So they're, you know, we're, we're, we're watching things there for, for learnings in the U S and, and t- taking a step back. The reason I say, you know, is it possible uh, or, or to answer your question on, on the returns, I, I certainly hope so. I'm optimistic that supply chain tech, yeah, can make a difference. will make a difference and make returns uh, possible there as well for investors. But, you know, the, you just take a step back, right? More efficient routing, uh, better asset utilization, better monitoring, more automation. You, you think, you know, if those things are done right, there will be value created and that, that value can be you know, passed back to obviously the community and the environment, uh, but also, um, you know, the folks in the ecosystem, investors, companies, and employees along the way. So I think this is a big opportunity. I, I, this is one of the things, again, we want to double click on. Um, over the next 10 years will certainly grow in importance. Um, I do worry a little bit in the short term, maybe there's less focus given where the world's at, but, um, but certainly the secular trend, the you know, 10-year prospects are there. Yeah, this is maybe a, 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 a TBD in my mind, but, but certainly a lot of promise and um, an area we're spending time on. Well, you know, it's a bit of a trick question to be asked, and I was looking at this question before you and I were going to talk. I thought to myself, I thought to myself, I was, I was saying it, and then I thought, you know what? But should we want to make return on investment with uh, sustainability practices? Because, okay, forgetting about the purpose-driven, forgetting about the it's good for the planet, which I wholly believe in. Let's be cynical. Let's be business people here. At the end of the day, what's more important? Reputational risk, you know, uh, of not doing something and uh, or doing or a, a bigger cost in, uh, of outlay in investment in all the technologies that you just talked about. I had an interview with a CFO who said to me, I don't care if someone comes to me with a bigger spend to solve sustainability issues. Aside from the moral obligation, it's a re- reputational risk to not do something because I'll give you another thing. As younger people get more buying power and more into the job markets, they will vote with their feet and their wallets, meaning it'll be hard to attract people to work in a company that isn't sustainable. It already is. It will be hard to get clients. Social media can destroy the reputation of a business like that, you know? And so I think 
even if it is costly. My my question is sort of like, do you even need to make a return? It'd be great. I'd love to see, and that's why I liked your answer. I'd love, I'm hopeful. I'd love to see that. But really, there's a danger in not doing it. Uh, I think things for us to think about. I, I wonder at what point does it sort of reach um, a tipping point, you know, uh, where, where uh, as you said, the reputational, the, the, the other considerations beyond the return can kind of, you know, push you, uh, push companies far enough along to really make the investments. Um, if the CFO you spoke with is, um, you know, uh, is he the exception rather than the rule or is he becoming the norm, right? What, what point does that really sort of tip what point does that kind of become established and mainstream? Um, I can certainly see it happening for sure. Um, but maybe because I'm a finance guy, I think needing a <laughs> return tied to it always feels like um, uh, a, a key component as well. Um, hopefully it's all of the above uh, in terms of getting companies over the line on investing in sustainability. Well, you know, that could be a whole other podcast. So I think we'll have to do a part two. Uh, on that because it's it's a good one. But uh, we've reached the end of our show. But before I let you go, I want to ask you the last question that I ask everyone on the podcast, which is I'm talking about a book that has had an influence on you, whether it's professional business book or any other kind of personal book, whatever. What's yours? I guess it's Ender's Game, um, the Orson Scott Card book. Um, I feel like I've probably read it every three years over the years. Um, and I, I there's an element of, you know, depending on what stage I am, I guess in life, I get something different out of it. Um, whether it was maybe the kids in military tactics when I was younger, that was a lot of fun to now some of the more, whatever, philosophical underpinnings of the book. I, I don't want to ruin the book for you if you haven't read it, although I'm, I guess a lot of people have. Um, but I, I would say, yeah, it's one of those books that I come to every time. Uh, every time I read it, I enjoy it. I get something sort of new and different out of it, depending on where I'm at. Um, I, you know, I was encouraging my, my kids to get into it. Um, uh, so yeah, that's the first one that sort of comes to mind. Well, that's good enough. That's perfect. Thank you. And I love a book like that. I love a book that you can come back to. I've got plenty of my own as well. David, I want to thank you for being here on Transform Talks and for sharing your thoughts and hopefully we'll see you again very soon. Perfect. Thank you for having me, Maria. So that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. I do hope you gained some valuable insight from this week's episode. To stay up to date with the latest developments, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn at Transform Talks. Also, if you don't already follow me on LinkedIn, please do so now. I'm always keen to connect with supply chain and business leaders from around the world. You can find me by searching for Maria P. Villablanca. And if you're lucky, I may let you know what the P in my name stands for. In the meantime, wishing you a great week ahead. And as always, for those of you listening, I'll catch you at the next one.